Okay, as, uh, well, good morning. And as David said, this morning's New Testament reading is from Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians while he was in prison. Uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. So Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Um, thanks to Steve Young for doing the sermon last week at a relatively short notice. It's the second time this year that I've had to ask someone to preach. The first time was at Easter when um, Andrew jumped in at, um, on Good Friday. And I was trying to think the time I've had to do it before that was when Lachlan was born. So there you go. It's a little while. Um, if you can keep that part of the Bible open, we are today just zooming in on those 16 verses and the sermon outline might be helpful to you as in following along where we're going. And I reckon, though we read from the NIV, it is an easy version um, to be read aloud. I reckon looking at a, a different version can be kind of handy too. So the ESV is a good one if you want something a little bit more literal. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have given us your word in the Bible and we ask that as we look at it this morning, we pray that we would understand what the verses are saying. Lord, we pray too that we'd have a bigger and better understanding of your plans and your purposes in your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're into the third year now that's been affected by a global pandemic and as a church, we really have been impacted by it. Um, back in uh, March 2020, I... The thought of not meeting together as church just seemed unthinkable, and yet we did that for months. And there's some of our number who still haven't come back to meeting in person.
before church. We've been impacted in a big way. And then just as um, this year began, I thought, right, we're coming out the other side. And then we've had, I reckon, more than half our congregation at various points isolating, including Lyndall and I last week. It's really has hit us as a church. And then there's been the floods. You remember when the centenary motorway was cut and you couldn't get across the, the river to church. I reckon there's so many reasons why it would be helpful for us to just pause, think about who we are as a church, and kind of hit reset and be clear-headed on why it is we meet together as a church and what it is that we do. Um, we know that in Hebrews 10, we're told not to give up meeting together. What is it that makes church an important thing to do? And thankfully, as we just work our way systematically through the Bible, we've come to Ephesians chapter 4, and this passage speaks into this situation, doesn't it? It gives us this bigger and clearer understanding of who we are as Christ's church. So with all that going on, let's have a look at this passage and see if we can understand Christ's church a little bit better and what we might be supposed to do when we meet together. If you didn't have passages like Ephesians 4, then I think we would very easily slide into a way of thinking about church as kind of something which you attend, maybe to observe or maybe to play a part in it, but something which is more of a performance type thing. I think that's the way we would naturally slide into thinking about church, kind of like going to the movies. You know, it's something you, you, you sit through, you watch or you experience that way, but that's not the picture you get here. The Apostle Paul, he uses an image of a body, with Jesus as the head, a body of interconnected parts, working together, building together, growing together. If we fall into the error of thinking of church as an event or a show, like going to the movies, then what we tend to do is we, we evaluate how effective or good church is based on our experience, our interest, our engagement, our comfort. And then there's this, this slide that goes from that into then critiquing how good it was and criticising, and so on. But if we think of church more as a body, and the, 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 the fact that the thing of meeting together more as like a working bee, where you come to play your part, then the busier you become in serving your church, the more you see there's work to be done. You don't have time to complain or criticise. There's so much we can do for each other as we seek to build up the body. But that's kind of jumping the gun. Let's have a look at Ephesians 4. And as we come into the passage, let's keep the context in mind. So it opens in 4 verse 1. It says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you. There's this little reminder there that Paul is a prisoner. He's a preacher of the gospel. He's also a prisoner for the gospel. 4 verse 1, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live in a way that's worthy of the calling you've received. More literally, it's to walk in a way that's worthy of the calling that you've received, to live or to walk in a manner that's worthy of being called part of Christ's church, being united in Christ. We've covered three chapters of what it means to be a Christian, three chapters outlining what it means for this new humanity that's Jews and Gentiles brought together, united. And now Paul turns to explain what it's like to walk in a manner that's worthy of all that, so if you just look at the last couple of verses of last week's passage, if you look at the way chapter 3 ends, it goes, verse 20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. That's huge. You've, we've been through chapter 1, 2, 3. Back in chapter 1, 
he talks about the power of God there too, doesn't it? The power of God in 1 verse 19 that raised Jesus to life and established him over everything. And that power, same power, is at work in those who believe as God is at work in us, transforming us, bringing us together into his church, his people around Christ. So in verse 20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that has worked within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. God brings glory to himself in his church and in Jesus. The body of Christ is the church. God glorifies himself in it. Um, back in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, we saw that God's plan from eternity to eternity is to see everything under Christ. That's his plan that he's been working to. In last week's passage in 3, verse 10, it's through the church that God shows his manifold wisdom to the rulers and authorities. And I don't think that's just the good rulers and authorities. Read ahead to chapter 6. It's like the church is this display home, this example of God's amazing manifold wisdom and his power. God's glorified through his church when you see what he's doing with his people. Um, the church is central to God's plans. Um, the church or the body of Christ, it's like this display home at the center of the universe. And not just the universe, you've got this, you've got this thing running through Ephesians, the heavenly realms. It sounds like this kind of stuff you don't get to see. It's where the spiritual battle happens in chapter 6. It's kind of like, I think, in, in Revelation, John pulls back the veil and you see a bit of it. Christ is glorified in that realm through his church and through Christ. Um, and don't get to thinking about this as just something which happens at the end of time as well. This just doesn't all happen when Jesus returns. It's already begun. Jesus has already conquered sin and death. Jesus is already bringing his people together, uniting us under Christ. Um, God's already uniting his people into a new humanity, both Jew and Gentile. He's already being, being glorified in his church, even now. And there's far more to come. Um, each one of us began as the Ephesians did as Christians. So if you look back at 1 verse 13, when we heard the gospel, when we were believed, at that point you're marked out as God's. You belong to him. Made part of this new humanity, this part of Christ's body, the church. There's three chapters sitting behind chapter 4. Three chapters of Paul explaining God's plans and his purposes with Jesus at the heart. And the church is the place where God's glorified as his wisdom unfolds. And then he comes to 4 verse 1 and he turns it back on us and goes, live in a way that's worthy of all that. It's huge. Um, chapters 4 to 6 unpack what it means to walk or to live in a manner that's worthy of being included in Christ. If you've got a sermon outline, you'll see the outline of the sermons. You can see where we are with the orange on the screen behind me. Today's passage it kind of focuses in on the gathering or the church and how you should walk in church. And then next week it kind of zooms in on the godliness that you expect of someone who's walking in a way that's worthy of being a Christian. And then it gets into relationships and then it ends with the battle that we all fight, the spiritual battle. So the Apostle Paul urges us to walk or to live in a way that shows we understand what it means to be Christ's church. Um, when you or I, when we want people to you know, live in a particular way or walk in a particular way, we kind of use all sorts of things. We use rules. That just makes people behave the way you want them to. Or rosters, a bit more, a bit more subtle. It's just 
leans on people's sense of obligation a little bit. Or with kids, you just give them money or rewards and they'll do whatever. But that's how we manipulate people. That's not how the gospel works. What Paul does, he reminds us of the truth because it's God who's at work in us. And as you understand God's plans and purposes, it's the gospel truth that motivates this change in behaviour, walking in a manner that's worthy of our calling as Christians. It's the truth that changes us. So what does it mean for us to live in a way or walk in a way that's worthy? It all begins, when you think about church, it begins by talking about your behaviour. So from verse 2, it talks about living a life that's worthy of your calling. It's going to involve love and humility and unity. So two verse six, uh, sorry, verses 2 to 6 is where we're looking. Verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, yes. Bearing with one another, kind of putting up with one another in love. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So verse 2 and 3, they're written in the NIV as two separate sentences, but they're interconnected. Um, they're one thought. Keeping the unity, verse 3, involves, verse 2, love, humility, bearing with one, another, with one another. And this idea of loving continues on through the passage. You'll see it at the other end, verse 16. Uh, the passage finishes with this reminder to love. And even in verse 15, we're told to speak the truth in love. But back in verse 3, we're not being told to create this union or this unity as a church. We're not told we should negotiate it, come up with formal statements that unite us. We're told to maintain it. This is the unity which God has achieved, Jesus has achieved through his death on the cross. God unites us and we need to learn to live in a way that shows we're united. It's God who's united us in Jesus, both Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, child and adult, Queenslander, New Zealander, engineers and other lesser careers. We're all united together in Christ and we need to learn to get on with each other, bear with each other, love one another, to be humble and patient. And then the passage, yeah, it, it moves on from behaviour. It will get to being united in thought. That'll come in verse 13, but it starts with our behaviour. And you look at it, these verses, yeah, it just, it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? makes sense but it's not that easy to do because it involves people it involves interacting with people it involves meeting with people gathering as a church it doesn't matter how long you've been a christian humility is something you can keep working on patience is something you can keep working on and love is something you can keep working on and it's only as god works in us as he takes his truth, the truth of the gospel, and works in us by his mighty power, it's only as God does that that we can keep on working at maintaining the unity that God's created. And our motivation keeps coming from what God has done. But also, as you read on in verse 4, our motivation also comes from, the, from who God is. United, one God. So verse 4, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were, when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Our unity in Christ reflects who God is, his plans and his purposes. Um, 
what God's done and who he's made us. So walking in a manner that's worthy of being called a Christian means that we do all that we can to maintain the unity in Christ that God has established through Jesus. And there are times when we will be tested. There are times when um, we will be tempted to do anything else other than be gentle and kind to our brother or sister in Christ. We need to press through. We need to continue to serve because this is the church that Jesus died for. This is the display home that glorifies God. The universe around is witness to how we treat each other as Christians. It's huge when you think about it that way. Um, Next, Paul points out that, yes, we are united, but there's diversity within our unity, and the purpose of that diversity is to build up the whole. And so he talks about Jesus um, giving various graces or various gifts. So if you pick it up in verse 7, these graces or these gifts will be used to to equip everyone to build up the body of Christ. So verse 7, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And then if you jump down to verse 11, he singles out some of those graces or some of those gifts. So verse 11, um, so Christ himself gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers. It's not a complete list of the graces or the gifts Jesus distributes. It's not an exhaustive list, but it is a carefully selected list. Now think what each of those selected graces or gifts have in common is they all have something to do with speaking God's word, I reckon. And that's purposeful because then Paul tells us why those gifts are given. Verse 12, they're given to equip his people for works of service or works of ministry so that the, whole, the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So the, the picture is Jesus giving out particular gifts given to the church so that everyone will be equipped to serve in building up the body of Christ. The end goal is that we are working together, ministering together, serving together, to build up the whole church, verse 13, to unity and maturity in the faith. Um, the way the passage talks about gifts or graces, I think it is a helpful corrective against some of the Christian culture that's around when it comes to gifts. Um, if you look at what it's, you're reading here, there's no indication, I don't think, here nor elsewhere in the Bible, that there is a limited number of gifts or graces that Jesus would distribute. This is just singling out some which have a particular purpose. I don't think there's any checklist that you can use to identify what your gift is. Um, I don't think there's any formula to work out what your gift or your gifts are. Um, people have made up all sorts of stuff around this area of gifts. And the emphasis in a lot of what you will hear is on what's my gift, what's my thing that I can do for the church. The emphasis here is not on you at all or on me at all. The emphasis here is on Jesus and his church and building up the body of Christ. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. So we jumped over verses 7 and 8. Come back up now. Um, Verse 7 says, "To uh, to each one of us graces have been given, as Christ apportioned it, and then he singles out some. But then he quotes Psalm 68 as a basis for this. So um, verse uh, verse 8 goes, this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So Paul applies Psalm 68 to the way that Jesus, the victor, shares the spoils of battle. Verses 9 to 10 unpack the first statement, when he ascended on high. 
Verses 11 to 16 unpack the second, that the giving of these gifts, the distributing of gifts. If you were to dig up Psalm 68 and read the whole lot, you'll find it's a psalm which um, calls to God to rescue his people, to save his people, and praises God for rescuing them in the past, and praises God for his provision for his people. So after Exodus, for example, God went um, out in triumph ahead of his people. He, he ascended Mount Zion. Zion shook, kings scattered, and the Lord ascended Mount Zion with captives in his trail. It's, if you read through the psalm, you get this picture of God in all his victorious glory. It's a psalm that exalts God as victor, victor and then um, triumphant and showered with gifts. It's a psalm that praises the power of God. And here, it seems like Paul is applying the psalm to Jesus, to say Jesus' triumph is of the same order. He too is showered with gifts. Gifts are everywhere. And then in verses 9 to 10, it draws out the hugeness of his victory by saying he descended. He lived among us. He descended further to death. He he ascended again in victory. It's like Jesus continues to act like Yahweh did in the Old Testament, powerfully, victoriously. And verses 9 to 10 apply the the, the second part of the the quote from the psalm when, when he ascended on high, the first rather. And then verse 11, get to the unpacking of the gifts. There's Jesus spraying out these gifts, the spoils of victory. Um, distributing all his, his, his gifts to those who are his. You look at that and you think, yeah, what Paul seems to be saying is these, the, these graces, these gifts, it's all about Jesus. It's not us. He's the one. He's the victorious one. And these graces, these gifts, he gives to his people so that the whole body will be equipped to serve and to build up the body of Christ. Um, and the goal is maturity, and growth. So if you look down in verse 14 again, so we've jumped back now to verse 14. Then we'll no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Um, in verse 15, it's not the apostles, pastors, teachers, and so on who speak. It's all of us, I reckon. So verse 15, instead, rather than be immature and tossed around, instead, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Christ's church grows as we speak the truth in love. People become part of Christ's church as you speak the truth of the gospel in love. Christ's church will grow as we speak the truth in love on the inside, as we correct and admonish each other. And it's not always easy to hear the truth. If you are saying to someone that they're living a life without God in it and that life is worthless without God in it, that's not an easy thing to hear. And so you speak that truth in love. And if you're speaking the truth to, on the inside to a member of, of, your, of your congregation, it's not easy to hear that you need to change, that you're being corrected. And so you do it in love. But we all play this part in helping each other, building up the body of Christ. We speak the truth in love. And all of this, it's not about us, it's about Jesus, building up his body, his church. Um, We're united in our diversity so that we can serve in building the body. So verse 16, from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So remember where we started with all this back in 4 verse 1, living in a manner that's worthy of our calling. You can see how it applies to the way we relate within the body of Christ, can't you? 
as a collection of God's people, a group of Christians, the body of Christ, we're always growing. We're always seeking to live in a manner that's worthy of being in Christ, of being his church. Um, And over the next few weeks, we'll get to unpack what it looks like in terms of godliness, relationships in the home and so on. But now it's zooming in on us as a church, Christ's body. How does all this apply to us in the, the best part of Brisbane, the, sunny, the, the leafy western suburbs? They, they call it that, don't they? That's a nice place. How does all this apply to us? Well, it challenges the way we think about church, doesn't it? It gives us a bigger picture of what it means to be Christ's church. And given the climate that we're in, having had the you know, meeting together made so difficult through COVID and being hit by so many, yeah, it's a helpful time for us to reflect on this. And so here's some, some questions. Just keep thinking these through. Is our view of church as big as God's view? Is our view of church as big as God's view? Do we see this weekly gathering as an outcrop of the eternal gathering around Christ? Do we see that? Do we consider the church as like God's display home where you see his glory and his, his wisdom? as he brings people together under Christ. This, this example to the universe around us and to the heavenly realms. Do we see Christ's church as being all about Jesus? All about him? Living for him? Do we see Christ's church as the place where Jesus throws around his gifts so we can serve and build up his body? Or do we have a kind of a, a smaller view of church? Does living as a Christian for you include learning to love your local gathering, your local church? I'm looking back over Ephesians to this point. Keep thinking through what it means to be Christ's church. We need to learn to love Christ's church. We need um, to be equipped to serve and we need to be serving in order to grow. So this week... um, one of the big things the elders discussed was to, to, to finish streaming church. Um, that's a fairly big call for some. We haven't got back to meeting a, together again in person. But it's a call that's got to be made at some point because streaming church, it's not meeting together. It's an aid to keeping the relationships alive. It, you can't sustain it forever. And so if you're in that position and this is a challenging thing for you, then start talking with us because there's got to be a way that we can do something which is more church, more church than watching a screen because it needs to involve relationships. Um, If you feel like you're not ready to come back to meeting in person, then start the conversation. Let's work out what we can do to help you keep growing and keep serving. It's very easy for us, all of us, to fall into the trap of thinking about church as something which you attend and watch and criticise, but it's not. Church is not like going to the movies. It's like the working bee. We come to get busy. Even just being here is an encouragement to your brothers and sisters in Christ. The conversations you have over morning tea, the way you get to know, uh, to share your lives together so that you can encourage each other and speak the truth in love to one another, it's all part of being church. Growth groups during the week are an important part of church as well. I suppose what I'm saying is do we need to rethink church? 
Um, do you need to rejoin church? Do you need to sort out your differences with someone in the church? Do you need to start serving? Or restart? Now's a good time, I think, to start uh, to, to reassess because we can. Are we walking in a manner that's worthy of being part of Christ's church, the display home at the centre of the universe? How about you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the lengths that you went to to make it possible for us to gather around Christ. Lord, thank you for Jesus' sacrifice. Thank you for the way that you found a way to deal with our sin and your wrath and anger at our sin. Lord, thank you for the power that was at work in raising Jesus to life and establishing him over everything, and that is at work in us now. Lord, please keep con continuing to work in our hearts and our minds to change us and make us your own. Lord, we pray that as a church here in Kenmore that we would be maintaining our unity in Christ, that we would be building each other up. We pray that we would be a mature expression of your church. Lord, please keep working in us, we pray. And Father, we pray too that your church would grow here in Kenmore as we speak the truth in love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.